Hey, what's up, everybody? It is Tuesday, June 28th, and welcome to Bible Study Live. My name is Matt, and we're going to study the Bible live together. Look, um, so as I try to say at the beginning of every show, uh, the whole idea behind this is to try and create conversation without condemnation. Look, we're not always going to agree, but one thing we're not going to do is argue about it. Uh, so there's that. Uh, I'd love it if you drop your comments. Uh, if you do, I'll reply. Look, uh, I don't have all the answers, but uh, if you ask a question I don't know the answer to, I'll surely try and help you find it. So uh, without further ado, um, we're going to wrestle with some stuff in Romans 12 today. And, and part of why I want to wrestle with this is because, I mean, we live in a world of disagreement, don't we? Like literally, uh, our world has got a lot of craziness going on. And, and I'm, by craziness, so nobody gets butthurt, let me say this. I mean, there's a lot of crazy disagreement going on. It is crazy the way people are treating one another. Uh, we've got a war in Ukraine. We've got homelessness in America. We've got a SCOTUS decision that has, uh, you know, a large group of people really upset, a, a large group of people happy, but both parties aren't handling it all perfectly, right? But that's just that's just the problem this month. Right. Last month, the problem was financially, what state is the country in? Uh, two years ago, the problem was uh, people hated Donald Trump because he was polarizing. He was a jerk and tweeting out stupid stuff. Uh, now the, the problems are everything from SCOTUS to Ukraine to Russia. There's always going to be turmoil. Now, this isn't political. We're going to wrestle with the Bible. I'm sharing with you the crap going on in the world. Just to acknowledge the fact that there is a reality that we live in a world with billions of people and to think that we're all going to just agree with each other uh, is silly. We're not. So we've got to find a way to have conversations with each other that are loving. Uh, and there is a way to be loving biblically, even if we don't agree, even without affirming something we don't believe in, there is a way to approach things in a loving way. There's also a time not to approach things at all. Uh, and as sometimes I get reminded, right? Just sometimes you just see something you disagree with and we got to just let it go. Uh, and, and sometimes I'm guilty of not doing that well, but also when people don't let it go and they reach out to us, um, it's kind of like the post I did or the, that I shared the other day. Like I had somebody who reached out to me directly personally and, um, she just did it in a very, her first message seemed very kind and considerate. And then it, as the conversation progressed, it got very um, self-righteous and holier than thou. Like, uh, like, well, the way she communicated it was that, you know, if I disagreed with her perspective, this lady who had private messaged me this two days ago, um, if I disagreed with what she was saying to me, then I wasn't listening to God. So, like, apparently she was the only one with, like, a, a two-way connection with God. Um, because she was listening to him and approaching me. And apparently I wasn't because I didn't choose to agree with her. Um, this uh, gal that had messaged with me a couple days ago. And so sometimes we, we have interactions like that. And like with her, I just had to go, all right, we'll just agree to disagree, whatever. Uh, but I appreciate you reaching out. I appreciate you, you know, following what you believe God was telling you to do. Uh, but we don't agree and, and that's okay. And, it wasn't okay with her. So I just was like, all right, well, we're just going to disconnect then. And then that, that eliminates the argument, right? I share all of this with you because you can't go on social media 
You can't turn on any news, whether it's YouTube or anywhere else. You can't look at what's happening in the world without seeing that there's some vehement disagreement going on. People are just, it's polarizing, right? Um, politicians from all all sides of the fence are, are treating each other horribly. And, um, and, and I got to tell you, it's doing damage. Right, the way that politicians are behaving, and by the way, I'm not picking out specific blue or red. I'm saying all of them. They're all trying to speak in a way that will create frustration, division, and anger amongst the people. And while some of them are choosing words that sound friendly, it's really not what's happening. They're stoking a fire in a nation, at least in America, I can't speak for other parts of the world, that is making the divide wider and i'm like when we're in trouble when things suck when we are in a country so divided that it causes family members to fight with each other when we should be loving each other we got to stop and i say man how do we how do i how do like how do we fix this how how can i and i think there's a, a pretty I believe there's a pretty clear roadmap to that, and that is in following the way of Jesus. Uh, I don't always do it well. I don't always respond well. But I'm definitely always going to try to go back and go, what does Jesus say? How does Jesus say to live? How does Jesus say to handle this? And we have a couple eyewitness accounts of Jesus in the Scripture, but then we have people who who had the uh, the opportunity to encounter him in person and then they share wisdom on it and so today we're going to look at a letter from paul to the church in rome and we're going to take a look at some of the stuff he said i think this shares so much wisdom and what we can do to remove some of the polarization and create space for conversations that allow healing in families in friendships, and in the world. I truly believe, with all my heart and with all my flaws, I truly believe that the answer to to living better and more peaceably and with more love in this world is to open the Bible and look at what Jesus taught and look at the examples of when people were getting it right. If we could do that, we could make this world we could bring it one step closer to what God originally created it to be uh, in Eden. So with that super long, not as funny as Jay Leno monologue, uh, or Jimmy Fallon, I guess, today, uh, let's take a look at Romans. Now, I'm going to read from the New English Translation. Uh, whatever translation you're reading from is good, other than the Mormon one and the Jehovah Witness one, because they got some magic added in there that's not scriptural. But uh, whether you're in the NLT, the NIV, the NET, the uh, New King James, the Old King James, uh, Christian Standard Bible, the message, that they're all telling the same story. Some of the wording is different, however. One of the reasons I love the NET is they put translator notes in it, in the New English Translation. So they put the notes that the translators used that led them from the uh, the Greek, from the Septuagint, or Texas Receptacus, wherever they were pulling info from. Um well, without further ado, here we go. Uh, oh, and by the way, these little headers are not in the original scriptures at all, um, just so you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, so there, there, there's, there's that. So, 
uh, one second here. All right. All right. Now, without further ado, here we go. Uh, let me share my screen. All right. So, therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Let's look at a couple things really quick. Test and approve. So uh, it's carries a sense of like test with a positive outcome. Test so as to approve. And what is this? Good and pleasing to God. Okay. Old Testament sacrifices are dead. Problem with living sacrifices, they keep crawling off the altar. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, 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 That's funny. Okay. So let's just address that first part really quick where he talks about making our lives a living sacrifice. So let's just... Let's just uh, kind of peel that layer of the onion back really quick. Um, to make our life a living sacrifice, what does that mean? Well, sacrifice means to give something up, right? Um, in, if you think Old Testament-wise, people would sacrifice for atonement, right? Like they would, they would make sacrifice that an innocent life would be taken to atone. An innocent life would be given up uh, as a way to wash away the sins. So being a living sacrifice, um, it, it kind of seems to allude to like, we're going to give up certain things that we once thought were okay, and we're going to sacrifice those things uh, um, in an effort to live a more godly life, right? To live a life that's pleasing to God. Uh, and Paul says, which is your reasonable service? Paul's trying to appeal to the, sh the church in Rome to say, look, look at what Jesus did for you. He literally gave his life, and he's not asking you to be a dying sacrifice. He's asking you to be a living one, to live... To sacrifice, like to basically, you're going to take the persecution, you're going to you're going to take the hit in your life. People aren't always going to treat you well because you're, you know, a follower of Christ. Uh, but but still, accept that and and live a life that's holy and pleasing to God. He says this this like Paul. It's almost like Paul saying, "Look, it's not too much to ask. Like he died for you to save you from hell. Least you can do is respond in a good way by living a life that's good for God." Now, Paul's not forcing them to. He's giving them guidance. He's trying to lovingly steer them in the right direction. And he says, don't be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what is the will of God. Uh, and this is an interesting statement because to say, don't be conformed to this present world. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I fall into that. Oof. And the thing I fall into a lot is I get frustrated when I see something that seems so clear and common sense to me, but it doesn't to someone else. I get frustrated. And my, my, my natural instinct is to want to respond in a worldly way. And by worldly, I mean like not God, okay? Everything in the world isn't bad, by the way. Everything that takes place on the planet is not a bad thing. Some things actually mirror God. They're a reflection of his love and his kindness. So when I'm saying in a worldly way, note that I don't think everything that happens in our world is bad. What I'm saying is it, when I, I'm using the word worldly, I mean in a way that is in opposition to God. For example, um, there's a certain person in my wife and I's life uh, who has had a track record of just not being, he's been very rude and disgusting in the way that he has spoken to her and treated her in the past. And my natural reaction is to want to drop him. 
<laughs> I just want to. I just want to. It's not a good reaction. It's it's worldly. It is not of God. It's not loving. It is not kind. It is not like Jesus at all. But that's like how I naturally want to respond, right? Like it's just like my instinct is like because I'm a protector of her, right? Um, and 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 there's nothing wrong with that the the protection desire, but in a desire to go and you know physically just beat the snot out of somebody, that's not Christ-like. That's not cool. Um, so when Paul's talking about like this stuff, what I hear uh, speaking to me is like, listen, don't don't conform your ways, Matt. Don't don't handle stuff. In the way that the world says is okay. The world says, if you disagree with me, I can I can go after you and ruin you. God says, if you disagree with me, let's work hard to, to make peace with each other and love each other. It's hard. It is hard. Because we have emotions. God gave us those too. So it's hard. It, but I love it because he doesn't just say, don't be conformed to the world. The end, he says, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does renew mean, right? To make new again. Well, if we were to make it new again, how would we make it? Well, we would make it in a way so that we could see, we could test and approve the will of God is good, well-pleasing and perfect. So the renewing of our mind is to make our mind right again to recognizing that God's way is the best way. It's the only way to a good and pleasing life. He continues, though, and so are we going to. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think, but to think with sober discernment. As God has distributed to each of you a measure of faith, for just as in one body we have many members, and not all members serve the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we're members who belong to one another. I'm going to pause right there. We belong to one another. Have you ever thought of yourself as belonging to others, like in a positive way? Like Paul doesn't say this in a negative way. He said, look, we're all part of the same family. It's Think of it like a body. We belong to each other. We function together for the body to work in perfect harmony. The parts need to work together. Think of it like this. Um, like I was on a walk this morning with our dogs. I try, I'm trying to take them on two walks a day, trying to do like a mile in the morning and then like a mile and a half to two miles in the afternoon. For reasons known only to God, I'm retaining a bunch of water and it's making me fatter and it's driving me crazy because I feel like I've worked really hard to, to lose the weight I have over the past few years. So it's frustrating that I'm retaining water for some reason. I digress. Anyways, uh, so, but in that, think of exercising, like what if you were going for a run or a walk and your right leg wanted to go forward, but also your left leg wanted to go the other way. You'd be like doing the splits, looking like Jean-Claude Van Damme from Bloodsport. Many of you are too young to know that movie. It breaks my heart. But anyways, you'd be like running in the splits. Or imagine like lifting weights, right? Like you're on the weight bench and your right arm is going up and your left arm goes, nah, I don't want to do that. Like you'd, you'd smash a bar in your face. It would be ridiculous. So Paul's pointing out here, he's like, look, gang, we are many, but we're one body of Christ. And individually, we're members who belong. To one another. Look, we are the same body. I had a conversation with a, a, a lady in our neighborhood this morning. I was on a walk and she's a sweet lady. Um, and she, like my wife and I had gone and um, we we love going to Life Church. It's the church that we call home here in Tennessee. But um, for a couple of weeks, we were like, let's go visit some other denominations. Uh, Dara had not um, gone to 
any other churches other than uh, our one back home in Washington, The Rock, which is a great church uh, to be part of. But she'd never even experienced like the difference in worship and how and how different um, church services go. So it's like, hey, let's go visit a few. And one of our friends is fantastic, and we went and saw him uh, preach at his church that he that he's the pat lead pastor at. And so uh, when we went, it was interesting because folks were like, hey, we'd sure love to have you come back. And we were like, oh, yeah, no, we have a church home, but we want to come visit our friend, right? Like, we're all part of the same body. Like, there's a place where we worship, right, where we connect. We've got people that we know well, and, and we've built these relationships. And so we, we worship alongside them. We serve together, but, but we're all part of the same church family, right? But this church happens to be a little more like a conservative in their worship, right? Like no instruments and stuff like that. Um, and, and strong community, strong love for God in it, right? We're just different. But it's funny because I saw the lady this morning on the walk because she happens to live in our neighborhood who attends that church. And she's like, didn't I see you at our, at, at our church? I'm like, yep, we sure did. We came to visit our friend. She's like, well, we sure love to have you come back. And it's like, oh yeah, we've got a, we've got a church here in town that, you know, that's our church family that we're part of, you know, a body that we attend. And, and like she made mentioning it about coming back. And, um, uh, Part of me is like that is so kind, and then the other part of me is like, why, why, why would we ever try to encourage someone to leave their their church home to go to another church, right? It's like we're all the same family. That's like telling my hand, like, hey, hand, I know you're happy on the end of a wrist, but I really wish you would come off this wrist and be in, in like the shoulder. That would be cool. I, you should do that. Well, no, the hands where it's at for a reason, right? Paul spends a lot of time here trying to remind people before he talks about how to behave in love. He goes into this whole thing about how we conduct ourselves and being humble. And he's talking about we're, we might all be individuals and individuals have individual thoughts and feelings and desires. But at the end of the day, we're all connected by one common thread, Christ. He goes on in uh, verse six, he says, and we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If it's the gift, if the gift is prophecy, that individual must use it in proportion to his faith. Let's look at what that says right there. Let's look at this note. The last part of this verse has no verb, either in indicative or imperative is implied. Uh, most likely is an imperative is intended because of the general tenor of the section of the epistle, this exhortation, and because of the particular flow of this verse, which seems to imply how to use spiritual gifts. I love these translator notes. I'm such a dork. So it says, if the gift is prophecy, that individual must use it in proportion to his faith. If it is service, he must serve it. If it's teaching, he must teach. If it's exhortation, he must exhort. If it is contributing, then he must do it with sincerity. If it's leadership, he must do it with diligence if it's showing mercy he must do so with cheerfulness and then paul shifts gears so he says hey if you're in the body you must do this you must do this you must do this you must do this so he's going through like hey we're all part of the same body and in doing in, in being part of the same body here's we've got to use the gifts god has given us right so it's funny because he's starting this out by going hey here's the deal gang what Jesus did for you, the least you can do is live in response to that. It starts with being humble and realizing God has gifted you a certain way for a certain reason. And you're supposed to use the gifting that God has given you, right? So that kind of goes, speaks to the individual. So it's almost like Paul's trying to satiate that hunger we, we have for individuality, right? Hey, if you've got this gift, then you got to use it. If you got this, you got to use it. Like if God has wired you this way, be who God wired you to be. But don't forget that your purpose for being wired that way isn't just to benefit you. It's for everything, right? If you're good at, at speaking, speak about God. 
if you're good at loving on people and love on people in the name of Jesus, right? So it's so, so good. Paul's showing like there is beauty in your individuality. And then he talks about what this means for us as a body, what it meant for the church of Rome, which I think also applies to us. He said, love must be without hypocrisy. Abhor, which means to hate, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. I'm going to pause right there before I move to the next part, because I think this is critical. We have a challenge in the church. Okay, I'm going to say this. We have a challenge in the church. We need to hate what is evil, but notice he doesn't say hate who is doing evil. Mm, This is so hard. I just want to... I also am guilty of this. Because a person does something that is horrible. We attach the evil to the human. And we forget that that is a person loved by God. Who is making a bad choice because of whatever influences they've had in their life. Whether it is the enemy influencing them now. One of the devil's minions whispering in their ear. Or whether it's the damage, pain, and things that they've been through in, in growing up. Um, a lot of people just come on, let's just get real. Okay. A lot of times we humans, a lot of times we have gone through some bad stuff. Okay. A lot of times we have, and without even realizing it, it shapes how we communicate with people. But we've also, many of us, I've made bad choices in my past. And a lot of times, I like what Paul says, love must be without hypocrisy. A lot of times I will look at the mistakes of my past before my life has changed. And then I'll see someone walking down the same path now. And I, I will struggle to say to them, that's not a good life direction. Because there's this voice in my head that goes, well, you you did that, though. So how can you speak to that? You're a hypocrite. Well, I'm starting to learn. No. No, when you want to save someone from walking the same damaging path you've walked, it's not being a hypocrite. But how we can how we approach people matters, which is why Paul says love must be without hypocrisy, meaning don't call somebody out. Don't approach someone about something. If you're still doing the same thing, i.e. the log spec principle, right? But the other thing too is this. Sometimes we fail to forgive ourselves. Like sometimes we jump behind a cause because we've done something in the past. And now this is going to touch on a nerve for some people. Maybe I don't know. My guess is that it will. And I want you to please God, listen to this whole couple sentences and receive it in love. I know there are some people right now, some people who are Christ followers who in the past have had an abortion. And so they feel like if, even though they wouldn't do it now, I've, I've had a couple of people say, well, I wouldn't do that now, but I can't speak to somebody else about, you know, I can't speak about someone else doing it. And it's like, well, pause. If you feel like you can't speak about it now because you've done it in the past, that would be like me 
listen, man, out of high school, I was selling pounds of, of pot. I was selling drugs out of, right out of high school. It was a horrible decision. Uh, thankfully, I was a minor. I put my whole life in jeopardy because of bad choices. Now, for me to now, if I see somebody who's selling pounds of, of, of whatever that's illegal, because it was legal back then, now it's legal. But if if somebody were selling pounds of something illegal, and I care about them, and I, I go, well, I, but I can't encourage them not to do it because I did it. Uh, it's not hypocritical to bring it up to them, to re- realize that I made a mistake in the past. And I've cleared that out of my life, but I think that a lot of folks have a hard time, especially those of us who became Christ followers later in life. We have a very hard time with this because we feel like when we see people walking the same path, making the same mistakes we made, we feel like, who am I to say, hey, there's a better way? And I think that's the difference. It's not for us to go, hey, what you're doing is bad and naughty and you're, stay out of hell. But to be able to say, you know, man, I used to be living that life. And can I tell you, I found a better way. And it's led to peace and freedom and happiness. And I just, I care about you enough to to tell you that. And sometimes I think people need to also know, and I think this goes hand in hand with the SCOTUS stuff too, guys. Listen. People need to know God loves them and has forgiven them. And whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, God still loves people who believe in abortion. He doesn't love abortion. He doesn't love killing babies. But he still loves the people that that believe it and somehow they believe it's okay. God loves them the same as he loves you who is pro-life, right? So I share that because how we interact with each other determines whether or not we get to keep having conversations. And I love that in Romans, Paul continues this because Paul starts by talking about, look what Jesus did for you. The least you can do is live in response to that church of Rome. And then he says, here's all these individual beautiful gifts God has given you. But remember, the purpose of our individuality is to strengthen the body as a whole. To use it to strengthen, not to destroy. That's a beautiful thing. And now Paul goes on to talk about love, right? So he says, love has to be without hypocrisy. It has to hate what's evil, not who has made the mistake of committing evil, but hate what is evil. What is evil? The enemy is evil. Murder, adultery, theft, those are all evil things. So we have to hate the the things that are being done that are evil but not the people, right? Like Jesus had compassion. They were like a sheep without a shepherd. We have to have compassion on those who are falling victim to perpetuating evil, to perpetrating evil. But we have to also love, love, love. Sorry, I had a text from the Z-Lul there. I need to clear that out. Um, so we have to love humans. And it's, it is possible to hate a behavior and love a person, just so we're clear. But I love this because Paul says this cling to what's good. So when in doubt, when we're struggling to figure out how to handle this part, then just focus on clinging to this part. 
cling to the goodness. And Paul says this, and this is what I love. He goes, be devoted to one another with mutual love, showing eagerness and honoring one another. Do not lag in zeal. Okay, so he's like, listen, don't don't lag in your zealousness, your excitement, right? Be enthusiastic in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Endure in suffering. Persist in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. This will be referring to those who are followers of Christ, the saints. Uh, pursue hospitality. So open your home. And he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. How do you bless someone who's persecuting you? If somebody is intentionally attacking you, just try and turn around and show kindness. And you can do that. It's okay to point out like, Hey, I don't appreciate the way you're approaching me. I don't like the way you're talking to me. I love you. I would, I would like it if you'd stop. Like that is being <laughs> blessing those who persecute you. It doesn't mean just sit there and, and go, Oh, you're so great. Thanks for abusing me verbally. But it, it means like be loving to them in response. This is blessed. Do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. This is powerful. When you see somebody being blessed by God, even though you're waiting for your blessing to come, don't sit there and be like, Ooh, they don't deserve it. No, celebrate. Weep with those who weep. When someone's hurting, understand that they're hurting, right? Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, meaning don't think yourself better. You know, oh, my station in life is good. I can associate with you. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what is good before all people. Let's see this translator note really quick. It says anthropos is used as a generic and refers to both men and women. Okay, so do not repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what's good before everyone, basically. What he's saying is this. Hey, somebody wrongs you before you respond and pay them back with something evil and wrong. Before you do that, stop and ask, is what I'm about to do beneficial for everyone? What response would make the best, most positive ripple in the world? How can I respond in a way that will, that will leave a positive legacy versus, you know, it's like that old saying, uh, I remember in high school, you know, they were always talking about like, you know, when a fight starts and somebody retaliates, right? So you and I go mano a mano and you beat me up. I lose. What happens? I go get my friends. Now me and my friends are going to take you on. Oh, and now we win. But then you go and get more friends to come take us on. And now you beat us up and win. And now we go get more friends and we're going to take you and those friends on. And now we, and the cycle keeps going, right? So how is that good for anyone? It's not. It's horrible. It sucks. It's terrible. It's perpetuating more and more pain and hurt and violence, right? So Paul says, don't repay evil for evil. Consider what's good for everyone. And then he goes on to say this, if possible. And I love that he says, if possible, because sometimes it is not. But if possible means you got to try, if possible, so far as it depends on you. I love it. Take personal responsibility for this. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Do not avenge yourselves, dear friends, but give place to God's wrath. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Remember, 
If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing this, you'll be heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but be overcome with good. I want to open this up because this is a quote from Proverbs. Now, I have heard a couple, I'm going to touch on these two things and then I'm just going to summarize and wrap this up. So a couple things that I want to touch on because I think they're often very much misquoted, misused, and abused. And uh, our goal is to create conversation without condemnation. We're going to talk about some misuse of Bible language here. First and foremost, uh, when it says, do not avenge yourselves, dear friends, but play, give place to God's wrath for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Okay. What does that mean? Here's the truth. It's a quote from Deuteronomy 32, 35. It's, just, it's a quote from Deuteronomy. But basically, God is saying, look, I'm the ultimate authority in Deuteronomy. Right? I'm the ultimate ultimate authority, so you don't get to decide uh, someone's eternal plan. Only God does, right? I don't get to decide that. And so it's interesting because I've heard people use this verse and talk about, well, I'm not going to do anything because I know God's got a place for them. God's going to you know, repay them. Vengeance is his. It's like you're like celebrating, like, I hope God doesn't show them the same grace that he showed me. <sighs> that's a wrong way to act, right? That's just not, that's not like Jesus. See, if we want, if we want to be like God, what did God do? Humanity turned against God. God said to Jesus, hey, let's fix this. Somebody needs to go down there and take the hit for humanity. And Jesus was like, yo, I'll do it. And then when he, Jesus was a human, he was like, oof, there's another way. Let's let's do it different because it's not going to be good. But if, if this is still the best plan, I'm in. And it was still the plan. See, we've got to stop abusing this Bible verse about this. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Stop looking at it like, well, I don't have to do anything because God's going to burn them in hell or God's going to punish them. Maybe we should be like, you know what? It sucks that they've hurt me and mistreated me. But... God has shown me grace, so who am I to pretend they they aren't capable of turning around either? I, that reminds me of the story of Jonah, right? Like Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because why? The, the Ninevites, who I think later became the Assyrians, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but the Ninevites were, um, or, or before that they were Assyrians. Either way, the people in Nineveh were like uh, the Taliban today, right? Or ISIS or whatever. They, they would rape. They would murder. They would sacrifice children. They were disgusting people, like horrible, the worst of the worst. And Jonah didn't want to go. It says at the end of Jonah, like literally he was like lashing out toward God. He's like, I knew you were good. And I knew if they turned from their ways, you'd forgive them. Now it says there were 120,000 people in Nineveh. That's what their number is in the scripture. So Jonah tried to avoid going and saying, listen, God says you got 40 days to turn it around, to stop being rapists, murderers, and killers. God is literally giving, it's crazy. Like God gave a warning. He was like, listen, 40 days, God's going to wipe y'all out if you don't stop. 120,000 people. And Jonah brought this to them and Nineveh's king, like they all, they like covered themselves in sackcloth. They tore their clothes. They were like, we've got to, we've got to repent. We've got to turn toward Jonah's God. We've got to do that because this God He's, he's showing us an opportunity to turn and change before he destroys us. And Jonah preaches, their life changes. And in a moment, 
120,000 people realize that they have to stop the culture of hatred, of violence, of murder, of child sacrifice, of rape, all because God gave them a chance. Now, on the surface, listen, if we stop and we go, those they did not deserve that. Yuck. They're rapists and child killers. Like That's horrible. I get why Jonah was spun out. I get why he didn't want, he didn't want them to have God's grace. But it's funny how before we know God, we don't care. We say we don't care about his grace. And then we come to know God and we appreciate his grace. And we're so grateful for the life change that we've experienced. And we want people to see the difference and the newness in us. But then we don't want God's grace extended to someone else. And it's like, think about the difference it made in my life or your life. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we want that for everyone? Wouldn't the world be so much better if everyone were to make that shift? So instead of thinking, well, vengeance is God's, he'll repay them as if it's going to be sin. You know how God repays sin? With grace and mercy on the cross. Second thing, this is another Bible verse possibly misused. I've heard this, you know, when your enemy's hungry, feed him, he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Like, ha, ha, ha. They're going to be like, why are you being so nice to me? Oh, 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 it talks. Oh, like what? Like the, like people describe it. It's not like the witch in Wizard of Oz. Like, oh, it's going to, it's going to burn them so bad because you're giving them so much love and they don't deserve it. And they're going to just be like, I hate that you're being so nice to me. As if it's the goal to frustrate them. <laughs> Uh, no, um, it's amazing. You know, in book, in the book of Acts, uh, they talk about when the Holy spirit comes out, it's like tongues of fire, right? We see coals, coals, uh, are heated up to like offer sacrifice to God too. Right. Um, and so it's funny because good doesn't result in evil. So the, the heaping burning coals on their head, you're, you're piling the, the fire of God's Holy Spirit, his love, his grace, his goodness, his kindness. You are piling goodness on their head, not for the sake of being evil back. But I think the next verse says it all. It says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul's saying, you want someone's life to change? You having a disagreement with somebody? You having a struggle with somebody? You having a fight with somebody? They lashing out at you? They're being evil toward you? Love them. Feed them. Offer them something to drink. Because by doing this, you're going to keep piling the good on so much that you're going to overcome evil with good. Let me say that again. By heaping all this goodness on somebody, you're going to overcome evil with good. <sighs> is the way of Jesus the best way to live today? I think it is. I honestly believe, man, if, uh, if we in this world, if we could all, notice I say we, please notice that I say we, please notice I say we, please. Don't hear me. As I wrestle through this today, please don't receive this as me preaching at you. 
please receive this as a call to all of us as one body to do this together. If we could take a lesson from Paul's letter to the church in Rome to remember a few key things. And heck, write these down. Number one, all part of the same body. Number two, we are gifted individually for a reason, but that reason isn't just to edify us. It is to strengthen the body as a whole. Okay, by all functioning together for the same purpose. Remember that thing. Number three, when at all possible, make peace. How do we do that? Overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with an immense measure of love. An immense measure of love does not mean affirming things that are not godly or biblical. It doesn't mean like, okay, it's Pride Month, so I'm going to go to the Pride Parade because that shows love. It doesn't mean you have to do that. You can still go, no, I don't celebrate that, but I love you regardless. See, there's, here's the reality. If we're loving like Jesus, we love people in spite of the choices they make. And I almost say we love them in spite of who they are, but I caught myself for this reason. And, and I like to think out loud because I, I, wanna, I want to be real with you here in my thinking. I almost said we need to love people in spite of who they are, but I would have been wrong in saying that because who they are is a child of God. We need to love people because of who they are and in spite of what they choose. If we want people to love us for who we are in spite of what we choose, we need to do the same. Again, it doesn't mean that you're affirming a choice. It doesn't mean that you're agreeing with somebody's perspective all the time. It's okay to disagree. But when it is at all possible, choose peace, show love as best you can, show God's love. If we want to fix this country, this nation, and hopefully this world, all right, we know it's never going to be perfect. We're never going to, you know, Jesus is going to come back. But if we want to bring a little heaven to earth, Christians, let's take a cue out of the Romans playbook and, uh, Let's do what we can to make peace. That being said, let's talk about some love. My wife, Darren, and I's new book for this reason is available now on Amazon. And uh, let me just, I'm going to pull it up here because uh, I want to show you guys this. I'm super, super proud of this. Not like a, ooh, I'm so proud. It's so great. Better than you. Not in that kind of way, but in a, we worked hard at this and it's valuable and I want to share it with you guys. So right now you get the Kindle version free, or you can grab a paperback copy of this book uh, on amazon.com. It's called for this reason, living in Ephesians five marriage. And uh, listen, the question is this, can God's plan be the secret to your marriage's success? And we wrestle with a couple really tough questions from the Ephesians five passage. One that like I get was so cringy on the, you know, Wives, submit to your husbands. Ooh, cringy, but follow that and see what it says about how a husband's supposed to be. And and it kind of brings things into perspective. So it talks about what, is it, what does it actually mean, though? What was the root word? What, what did that mean? And how can a husband love his wife as himself? Can those coexist in 2022 and beyond? This is a different book than you will have ever read regarding marriage. And I will tell you one of the main reasons why. It's because Dara and I are both pros at doing it wrong. You heard me. We are pros at doing it wrong. We've both been married twice before. We've both 
screwed those up or had them screwed up by the other person too. But listen, we are part of those marriages. So we contributed. We screwed them up too. We both done marriage very wrong and lived life wrong in the in-between. And now we're trying to frame our marriage in a way. Uh, and it has taken some work, but in a way that really honors what we read in Ephesians 5. And uh, it's been a blessing in our marriage. It's been a blessing in how we handle disagreements. And we think it'll be a blessing to you too. So if you've got a good marriage, but you go, man, I, I just want to invest in my marriage and, and uh, strengthen it. Text the word love to 833-981-0002. Uh, you do that, you'll get a link back to be able to get the book. Um, if you are at the point in your marriage where you've been like, you know, it's just fizzling. I don't know if it's going to last. I don't know if we're going to make it. This could be, this could be a book that, that changes your life. And I'll make you a deal. Uh, get it read it and if you don't find it valuable message me and i will buy it back from you you heard that right text in get the book if you read it which you'll be able to read it in less than an hour i'd imagine but if you read this book and you don't find value for your marriage in that book you message me and i will buy it back from you that's how that's how strongly i believe in the difference this book can make in a positive way for your marriage uh and that's if only one of you reads it. If both of you read it, wow. And here's how it's written from two different perspectives. We broke Ephesians 5 down into four sections, and we each wrote a chapter on that section separately. We didn't read each other's writings ahead of time. And then the book came together went to editing, and it wasn't until then that we read what each other wrote. And uh, it's pretty awesome to see how God pulls things together with two individuals who function, communicate, and act very differently, but are part of the same body. It's a blessing to us that we were able to put this together, and we truly believe it will be a blessing to you in your marriage. So can I encourage you to text the word love to 833-981-0002. Standard messaging rates apply, frequency varies. I have to give the legal disclaimer with texting. Uh, I think you'll love it. Listen, anyway, I appreciate you guys tuning in for Bible Study Live this morning. Uh, uh, I really dislike spam, wild wax, so... Thanks for spamming your comment. Uh, God bless you guys. May he bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. May he overload your life with abundant blessing in such a way that it can only be attributed to God. Those of you that are struggling right now with high prices and finances and baby formula shortages and food shortages and gas, I'm so sorry that you're struggling with that. And I just pray a blessing over your life that God will provide for you in supernatural ways, that that job opportunity would come open that you didn't think was possible that that the neighbors or friends that you didn't even realize loved you would would drop food on your door that god would show up in big ways in your life i just pray that blessing over you in jesus name and i just feel like somebody needs to hear this out there um this is just so weird to say out loud i feel like there's somebody that's coming across this that needs to hear this who has made the decision to have an abortion in the past and thinks that god could never love or forgive them he forgave you knowing full well what you would do in the future. And Jesus died for you anyway, and God does love you. 